Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is with Mark Thompson. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, we're happy to have with us here on the podcast uh, someone who actually, in his own way, promotes the podcast because he has me on his show frequently and he always talks about the Make It Plain podcast. And we are definitely appreciative of that. Uh, and it's good to turn the tables, too, because we rarely get to hear him unfiltered. Because when you're a host and moderator, you can't have to let other people talk. He is none other than the host, none other than the host of the beat with R.M. Melber. R.M. Melber is here with us on Make It Plain. Hey, man, how are you? Great to be on Make It Plain. And yes, we shout it out because uh, we love having you on the beat uh, on MSNBC. So happy to, to f- flip it around. Yeah, and, and it, it is a pleasure to have you. So let, let's start this way. With everything that's going on from impeachment to some of these sentencing decisions that are taking place. Um, Ari, what are your thoughts about the state? Trump gives the State of the Union. I'm going to ask you to give the state of the legal community, the, the, the state of legality constitutionally in our country right now. Uh, the State of the Union is messed up, but not shredded. Mm-hmm. Uh, although the pages of the State of the Union were shredded uh, by Speaker Pelosi, and people are understandably concerned. I'm concerned that we try to bring that with evidence in the reporting we do. Uh, The attacks on the Justice Department, the president's retaliation against people who cooperated with subpoenas and a co-equal branch of government in the impeachment trial, uh, the retribution, what I'm I'm seeing as kind of the revenge tour, all of that uh, is a challenge to our rule of law. Mm 
that does not mean that he has defeated all rule of law. For example, while there is evidence that he is instructing his Justice Department to intervene on behalf of his friends, which is wrong, uh, the decision still will be made by an independent judge who, by the way, has life tenure. So while he goes and tries to fire other people and that still has to be addressed and litigated potentially, uh, boy, isn't it good we have a system where the president cannot, literally cannot, fire the judges. Yeah. So the founders who got some things very wrong also got some things very right. They, they perceived that this risk existed before they'd ever met Donald Trump or any other person who comes along. Uh, so I do think both things can be true. We cannot normalize or minimize uh, the kinds of attacks and challenges to literally our democracy when you mm. look at what was exposed in the Ukraine plot, what the president continues to do in broad daylight. But that does not mean that people say, oh, well, I guess nothing works and he won, uh, because that's what he wants you to think. And it's not the case when so much of the government still functions under uh, the actual constitutional dimension, which is supposed to be stronger than any politician. So speaking of the founders and what they got right and what they got wrong, the relationship between the attorney general and the White House and there being you know, some level of autonomy in terms of the Department of Justice and the attorney general, that's more understood than written out, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah, that's much more custom, and it's something that was strengthened after Watergate and has clearly been weakened under Trump. Yeah. Um, so there's that. I asked my Wiley, my Wiley a question about the impeachment process. Did they get that wrong by demanding or asserting it has to be two-thirds of the Senate? I mean, th there seems to be – we saw it with Clinton, uh, and some would say – I mean, objectively, that that was the result of that was partisan. Others would say, well, that wasn't an impeachable offense. This kind of went down the very in a very similar way, except for Romney. Is 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 there a way to really carry out an impeachment of a president in, in a partisan environment? I think history suggests that while impeachments sometimes begin on the facts, the process, when it has ever ended, ends in a partisan way. You know, so much of the conversation now is about how things are worse under Trump. Interestingly, it took things to get as bad as Trump made them to actually have the first ever senator vote against the president of his own party. Mm -hmm. Just one, Mitt Romney. But before that, it had literally never happened. Yeah. So that's an area where you can document what Trump is doing, but you can also see that the Senate has always done that in a party way which raises the question of whether giving it to a political body uh, is the right call. Yeah. Um, as you, you dress in New Hampshire, um, you're out here looking at the campaigns as well. As you interact with people off the air, what are you hearing? Are you hearing that people are like literally concerned about what is happening to our democracy? Well, it's always interesting getting out there. I mean, I talk to experts, legal veterans, people who serve in the Justice Department, and, and you hear these concerns, and we, we do that kind of reporting. We talk to the campaigns. Coming right back out from New Hampshire, and we interviewed voters on air, on live TV. We also went out to events and talked to them without the cameras on, so you get the benefit of both. You know, if I go out in a, in a hat, a warm hat, and a parka, and I'm <laughs> in the line of New Hampshire, 
uh, most people I talk to have no can't seem to have no idea who I am, and so it's a really good. <laughs> it's really good if I'm in the suit and I'm with the TV camera, right, whether they know right, or not, right, it, right. it obviously uh, alters it. Right. Um, so I love doing both. What I'm hearing from at least uh, Democratic primary voters, right, is an incredible fixation on who can beat Trump above everything else. Everybody always wants to win in politics, but there is something deeper, and there is a real palpable concern that a lot of different voters. By the way, a diverse range of voters told me, young and old, uh, white people and people of color, boy, if this guy wins again, our democracy is really in trouble. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. can we withstand it? And people really scared, really feeling that. And it's not like we haven't been through things before. And I mentioned diversity because, you know, Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock uh, had their joke about after November 16 saying, anyone who comes up to you and says, this is the worst thing America's ever done <laughs> is coming out of a certain life experience, which is a fair point. Right. But more broadly, I'm just hearing that from a lot of people. So that overrides everything. Um, and yet at the same time, the, the party race, as we've seen right now, is incredibly open, incredibly uh, undecided. Yeah. It is, it, from your point of view, looking at it's even what's happening with the Democrats, some would opine that things in disarray and up in the air, um, whether that be the case or not, that's what some look like. One of the front runners is not necessarily a front runner anymore. Uh, just from your point of view, as, as Ari Melba, what do you think? about how the Democratic race is shaping up and is the Democratic race responsive enough to what you're hearing from those voters? Like, if we don't do something, this guy's going to get back in. I think it's fascinating to see the race so wide open uh, with candidates who would appear strong for a variety of reasons faltering or out already mm -hmm. and others doing well in these early contests, which, again, it's just a race for delegates. That's what this is. It's not a race for the best TV coverage or the best debate performance or anything mm -hmm. else. You mm -hmm. have to stack the delegates. And so what you see in the early field is just 3% of the delegates. Everyone should keep in mind in Iowa and New Hampshire. And you see a, a lead here by Buttigieg and Sanders, uh, followed by, uh, by Warren and Klobuchar, basically. But that could change very quickly in the next few states where more delegates will be allotted and then Super Tuesday where a third will be allotted. So my job as a, as a journalist is really to try to take that seriously, to show viewers every night, here's what we know, here's what we don't know, be fair and welcome all the candidates. I do think it's fascinating uh, that the Democratic Party is so worried about Trump and its current choices that it's considering taking someone whose main elective experience is 12 years as a Republican mayor and Mike mm -hmm. Bloomberg, who has a lot of money, mm -hmm. uh, and voters will ultimately debate that out as well. But it's hard to think of any other race in the modern era, which I would date from like 72 when we started this type of system where voters are more involved in the primaries because people forget very recently uh, elites would still just pick the nominee. Right, right. Uh, it's only 72 cents that we've done it this way. And it's hard to think of any other area that's been this wide open. Um, Bloomberg, you've talked about him a bit on the show. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been forthright in covering stop and frisk, which he probably would rather not <laughs> be covered as much. But, I mean, it's, it's becoming a big story. Um, a lot of us in New York knew about it, obviously, but a lot of people outside the city. Uh, how, how damning is that, do you think, for someone to be running who was saying the things he was saying and promoting such a harsh and codified racial profiling policy. I think it's a very significant policy that was 
very important to the lives of New Yorkers and central to how he governed. This isn't one of those things where somebody said something once mm -hmm. or did something in college and mm -hmm. we're still on it. This is his most recent governing experience. This is how he treated people when he had power. And the facts, which I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with, but others may not know all the details because, for one thing, it wasn't a national policy. So even if you follow right. national news, this was a explicit policy of racial profiling, which is controversial. Most people in government don't admit to doing that even if they do it. Mm -hmm. um, he did, and the reasons for that are somewhat interesting, but it was because of the way that it was litigated. They basically had to defend the statistics, which showed 87% of the people stopped were black and brown. The majority of them were innocent. Uh, and so Bloomberg found himself on the record trying to explain that right, while right. it was litigated. Right. And so he would say things. He would say, quote, we should actually stop whites even less, end quote, and other things right. uh, that, are, that are now back out there. I think what's important in this process is that we vet these candidates. So it's not my job to tell anyone, do or don't vote for someone based on this or that. Mm -hmm. If you're a single issue or a multi-issue voter, you'll mm -hmm. figure it out. It is my job to say, this is what he did when he had power, and this was racial profiling. And I had his campaign manager on just last week right. in an interview that got right. some attention because I said, do you know how many stops there were? And we went back and forth. I said, because it was 5 million stops over the course of uh, the tenure. There was one year <laughs> where there were more stops than there were black residents of New York, right. which means statistically, if you lived in New York, no matter how lawful you were and how great a job you had and how much you did everything right, uh, you were likely to be stopped once or more by the color of your skin. Yeah. I played him a video of a young uh, New Yorker who was interviewed by the New York Times mm -hmm. who explained he was stopped 60 times. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I don't know what it's like to walk around and live that experience as a human being. As a journalist, I know what it's like to gather those facts and present them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a huge deal from Bloomberg. Again, when people hear enough negative, they say, oh, are you saying don't vote for Bloomberg? Right, right, right. No. I'm saying this is what to look at. And I can show you we've done, obviously, pieces on other candidates as well. It's also this funny thing. He's newer to the race, sort of. So mm -hmm. we're getting into him right now. Right, right, right. Uh, I know that uh, both uh, Senators Klobuchar and Harris in their records as prosecutors was scrutinized. I asked, I've asked Her uh, Senator Harris on the show about that. Uh, so it, goes, it comes to everybody. But, boy, is it a big issue. I'm, I'll tell you, since sometimes I get to ask you questions, interview, I, I for one, am surprised by how many uh, – African-American leaders in the Democratic Party, my man. <laughs> not necessarily like independent civil rights leaders, but in the party aren't even doing a vetting. They're not saying prove it. And in a month, maybe you I'm seeing people jump in front of Bloomberg to say it's all OK. Yeah. What do you yeah. I'm surprised by that. Well, and I was going to ask you just as someone outside the black community looking in, what do you think? Because I've had several people who are non-black say, Mark, we explain this. Um, and, you know, honestly, um, a lot of these people, again, aren't from here, okay? So they've kind of minimized. I think a lot of them did not even know as much about it, and they just jumped out there. Mm. And I'll be very honest with you, and I don't want this to sound too pejorative in terms of, of people and how they make decisions. Bloomberg's got a lot of money. If you are an African-American elected official, um, who does not get a lot of money from the constituency. A lot of African-American elected officials serve communities that don't have a lot of money to give them or invest in their campaigns. Bloomberg comes in there and just takes care of all of that. 
And I'm wondering now, I'm just speculating people, you know, he's saying, hey, look, support me, I'll support you. And he's writing checks and people aren't really digging down. And I think also there's a level of desperation. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Trump is so bad and people thought it would be Biden and Biden seems to be faltering. I think for a lot of people in the black community, they felt like getting Trump out needed to be a, a white on white crime already. You need a white dude. <laughs> right. And that was that was unfortunate. It was Kamala's problem. You know, I had a lot of respect for her. Uh, I think she was, you know, was kind of kneecapped unfairly and, and unfairly scrutinized. Remember, Kamala, you're too tough as a prosecutor, which really was my evidence that Hillary was the crime bill. But you notice how men, Biden's never been called to task on the crime bill. He voted for it. Bernie voted for it, never been called to task. So, so Bloomberg is kind of the first male. Mm. And people might have thought that. We know you can get away with it because they only put this on women. <laughs> you know, so I, it, it's kind of funny that way. But I think just in recent days and hours, people are like, wait a minute, did we jump into this uh, too early? But there's the, and, and it's interesting, you're covering it, you're putting it all out there. And fairly, for those of you who don't know, Ari has covered all sides of these issues. He's had the other side on there. He had has had Sam Nunbergs and the other people, you know, who've been Trump supporters. Honestly, Ari, MSNBC gets accused of being uh, Fox on the left, which I think you and I agree is not true at all. You know, people try to say MSNBC is partisan. How if, if Trump were to say what Bloomberg said, of course you'd have to cover it, right? So how can you not cover and Absolutely. report? what Bloomberg is saying. Well, absolutely. And I think that people are interested in a lot of these things because of the politics. So we don't ignore that. There's political energy and everyone knows in a team sport, uh, a lot of times you, you know, the other side fouls, maybe you don't think your side fouls as much, Mm -hmm. right? There's that Mm -hmm. dynamic, which is a real dynamic in the public energy. And our job is to both understand how that plays out to tell you accurately why something might be a gaffe or not, but then also to do the substantive part. Right. You know, the horse race prediction garbage, it doesn't even work. It's amoral and it's not correct, by which I mean everyone telling you their prediction is Trump will lose d- doesn't tell you whether or not you know anything about how he'd govern. And they were wrong anyway. <laughs> so it's doubly <laughs> right, right? right. And the fact that sometimes they get it right is no different than the markets. Right. You got yeah. I mean, I, I find this fascinating. This relates to politics, but it's an analogy. You got all these people on Wall Street who make money managing other people's money. Mm-hmm. And statistically, they don't do better than if you just randomly put it into the market yeah. in the, in the S and P 500. Likewise, you've got a lot of people who make their living telling us how it's going to be. So some people do that and that exists in the media. We on the beat, what I'm trying to do is follow the evidence, present the information, also give you a view of politics and not get into the prediction game. Yeah. And so following the evidence means, yeah, let's vet Bloomberg and anyone else. And it's funny, as you say, yeah, I mean, I had Sam Nunberg this week because he used to work for Roger Stone. I think this the beat might be the only show in the history of the world that's had Sam Nunberg and, and Yo Gotti on both. <laughs> and be. so people know us for a range of things. And mm-hmm. I get that. And it's my job to take the criticism, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's someone saying, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't want to hear that person. I get it. Because now take Sam, I'm not picking on him, but Sam Nunberg worked for Trump in the beginning of the primary campaign, was helping him get elected, then became a Mueller witness, was on my show this week defending Roger Stone Mm -hmm. at a time where everyone's going the other way. I think we learn more by hearing that perspective, even if you disagree with it, okay? Mm -hmm. But I'm going to catch flack from some people who say, well, I don't want, I'm eating dinner at 6 p.m. on the East Coast. 
I'm having a little pasta. <laughs> I'm flipping a burger. I don't want Sam Nunberg in my living room <laughs> while right, I eat right, dinner. And right. I say to you, I get it. And that's your that's where your freedom of remote comes in. Mm-hmm. Because the fact that you don't want him in your house is totally valid. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But what I'm doing, even if it corresponds with your dinner, respect, is still a news show. Yeah. Um, and so I've had that in all kinds of ways. And by the way, when we hold people accountable, I always find it interesting. And viewers can, can track. Some of them come back and some of them don't. So mm-hmm. Corey Lewandowski hasn't been back since a, you know, I would call tough but fair interview we did. Right. Um, but if he's ever willing, he is welcome back because you know what? He managed Donald Trump's first campaign. Mm-hmm. So in this world where everyone's talking about Trump anyway and everyone's got their theories, you don't want to hear with facts. I fact checked him, but you don't want to even hear what someone who's been in the game and in the room knows. I, I do, although I'm not going to let him get away with lies either. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel when people accuse the network MSNBC of being partisan? How, how does that does that I mean, get under your skin? No, my first rule of thumb is I focus on what what I'm doing, what I'm involved mm-hmm. in. And I can't speak for everything else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, as a matter of where the where things are, there's a lot more skepticism and criticism of the press nowadays in public than there used to be. Mm-hmm. I think for two reasons. One, the internet has democratized a lot of this in ways that I think are both positive and corrosive. And two, we have political movements now that aren't just complaining about some press the way anyone would, but actually it's it's inherent to the grievance politics. You see that in supporters of Donald Trump. You see that in supporters of Bernie Sanders. And I'm not making a moral equivalence between the two, mm-hmm. but for everything that I just said earlier in our conversation about what's wrong with Donald Trump, it is true that he was initially underestimated and his supporters who felt that are right about that if, if maybe you think nothing else. Right. For Senator Sanders, it is true that he actually is running on a platform that involves not only criticizing but trying to change the power structure of corporations, the establishment. If, a, if, if any media company right. is, is a corporation, right, it's fair for his supporters to ask, well, how are you going to cover something when actually he wants to reduce your power or reduce the power of a lot of corporations, right? Those are all fair questions. So my view is to not get into the personal of what the, whether it stings me or my producers or mm-hmm. our, we have a hardworking team that puts on a show every night and, the, and try to really take it for what it is. Yeah. Um, and I will tell you on the, you know, the, the Trump stuff for him has worked, but at times – Right. He has also abused it and been lying because he is not saying here's a legitimate potential criticism of the press. And then let me go from there. No, he's trying to supplant the press Mm -hmm. with lies that are designed to literally trick his own people. Yeah. So what does that tell you about someone when they are conning their own ally? Forget everything else he's doing over there. He's also credibly been proven to try to con his own people. Um, I believe we're in a, in a real a real disinformation era. How do you feel about disinformation and the impact it's having? This it, picking up on that question of what Trump is doing. I mean, this a lot of people every day are more and more victims of disinformation. That's the challenge, and it's partly a challenge of the negative forces, Trump and some of his allies and others. Um, and it's partly a challenge of of media literacy. I mean, mm-hmm. do you want to be someone who says, "Oh, I saw this, so I just shared it because because I, I liked it, because I, I agreed with it." Or do you make a distinction between 
well, if I got it from Mark or I got it from the New York Times or I got it from a reputable source, I, I will share that automatically because until Mark or the New York Times disproves me, I found them to be credible. But if it's just an unknown thing floating around that purports to quote something or say something or hurt someone, well, if it's just floating around, why would I share that before I know if it's true? Mm-hmm. Because then you're, that's where you are a publisher as well, whether you're sending it to your trusted 10 friends could be a text thread, could be a social media, or it could get, you could be, and you might feel guilty about it, you could be the tweet that then gets retweeted by the president. And all of a sudden, you're the one that spread right. something you didn't know where it came from. So I think it has to be more than I like what this mm-hmm. says. Uh, and that's media literacy, and I, I don't mean to sound all whatever, high-minded. It's just like we have to all figure out what we're doing. Yeah, with that. And, and discern. Um, lastly, you're a hip-hop head. True. So people know that about you. They see it on the show. And, and I, I confess, you know, I've, I've been on your show a lot. I've been on a lot of different shows over the years. Everybody's different show. When you had me on with Master P. I loved it. <laughs> but no, it was like, and people who've seen me were acting as if that was my first time on television, period. <laughs> like, I found, man, you on with Master P. I mean, people came out. People were stopping in the street more than usual. You the guy that was with Master P. I yeah? Mean, you know, stock just kind of I didn't know that, up. Mark. I was like, wow, okay, thank you. It's like, what, what, did you? I was like, well, I've done been on our show before. <laughs> you have, yeah, maybe I saw you, but that was Master P. So, how how did you become such a a hip hop head and a hip hop aficionado? Um, I think when I was growing up, I went to I went to Garfield High School, which is in the inner city of Seattle. It's where Quincy Jones and Jimi Hendrix went, mm. and it was just all around. So I I don't remember feeling like it was some sort of choice. It was just we were in school, and it was like. Busta Rhymes, people walking in the halls saying, yeah, 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 Wu-Tang, Fuji's The Score had blown up like my freshman year. And so it was just around. And I love all music is what's funny. I I recognize, obviously, the hip-hop thing has taken on a little bit of a life of its own. But, you know, on the show this week, we have um, from Blondie, Debbie Harry on. We've had R.E.M. on. We do a lot with hip-hop, and we we quote hip-hop because it applies so much. Um, But I love all music. The hip-hop just came out of that environment of my school, I think, and then then I just stayed with it. So you never, you never, did you ever perform music? Did you ever learn music? No, I never, I don't know how to play much, nothing like that. You know know how to rap, though, right? I don't know how to rap, but I, I, I like reading rap and listening to rap. I quote a lot, but I mean, you could probably, have you ever tried? Not really. This is what I would say. (laughs) I come to it as a fan, Uh and I think that's actually easier Okay. It's not like I'm trying to be be it, um, but I'm a huge fan of it, and it comes from that place. Would you ever want to try it? I don't think so. I mean, it's, this is, you know, I'll <laughs> tell you. So the two questions I get the most, right, are, okay. are what you're talking about. Wait, do you want to be a musician, or, oh, do you want to run for office? And mm. I did work, you know, for two senators right, and have right. that background. Um, and so I understand the question because it's hanging out, right? But it's like when you're sitting next to Master P, do you're you right. want to start a – a music and a snack empire because you were on you tried this you tried the rap snack right right right. or do you feel like no this is cool we're all here but i'm i'm good with what i'm doing that's how yeah, i feel right now that's how you feel about it. okay ari melber the host of the beat with ari melber weeknights on msnbc thank you sir thank, thank you. you for having me on so much we'll have to do this again 100 percent. all right all right Take care. thank you for listening to make it plain and get woke remember to listen like and subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify and wherever you get your podcasts Also, subscribe to Make It Plain and Get Woke Daily. Check out makeitplain.com to subscribe. If all minds are clear, it has been made plain.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.